Good to be here. Uh, welcome to Encounter. Let's make sure our technology works. Uh, last week, last week was Halloween. We had a, a wonderful, a wonderful little time together. Uh, shout out to Connor Melvin who told me who I will be next year for Halloween. I will go as Anthony Fantano, and I'll get. So I was way off on that one. Uh, here's what happens at my household. Um, uh, whenever, whenever the girls go trick-or-treating. So I, I, I threatened to bring in uh, four years worth of, of kangaroo outfits, and instead I found this video, which is subtitled to help you out, but pay attention. It's, it's a killer. What is going to be for breakfast? Um. Breakfast. <laughs> you can eat those apples over there. You ate that. Did you, Mommy? Did you buy this? No. Did you? Yeah, we might have stayed up late. The adults had a little candy craving. Adults had a little candy craving last night. That's why we have children. Halloween, Santa, it's all for the candy. That's good stuff right there. So that was uh, my, my eighth grader, my fifth grader, and my third grader at six, four, and two. If you want to see more pictures of them, you got to come to the West Side Sherwood Oaks this Sunday, uh, preaching and telling the story of how we adopted uh, the two-year-old, now third grader. So that's part of the Adoption Sunday this week at, uh, at Sherwood Oaks. Uh, I'm over on the west side. So here's where we are, Acts chapter 9. Uh, Saul has been breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Mm, he went to the high priest and asked, asked the high priest for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So heads up, uh, Saul wanted to travel about 150 miles. He asked for permission to travel a buck 50, and this is before the day and age of cars, and so he'll be walking or riding a hee-haw, if you know what I mean. Can't say that word here in church. So here is a King James Version. So here's what he did. He said, I'm going to take a week and travel towards Damascus. Now, as we were telling the story of Saul last week, I told you he began to persecute the church, but then I stopped myself and said, why? I said, why? And so he's breathing out murderous threats. He's asking for a letter. And, uh, and so here is, you just start off our night together. Why was Saul breathing murderous threats? And going to Damascus? Was he A, defending himself? Obviously, he wasn't the people catcher, thrower, and jailer that he thought he was. Was he defending his rabbi? We told you a couple weeks ago that his rabbi was Gamaliel. And obviously, the teachings of the disciples and the apostles go in the face of Gamaliel. And a student always stays devoted to his rabbi, just as Peter. Ooh, 
No, I can't do that one. Okay, no worries. Saul was, at, was defending his God. Obviously, Yahweh couldn't make the earth swallow whomever he wanted, rain down fire, turn people into salt, or make donkeys talk. Hee-haw, there it was again. Or was he defending religion? His tradition had been kept for the last two centuries, and it needed to be kept for the next two, because this is how God would reinstate the Jews. You talk amongst yourself. Why was he breathing murderous threats, defending himself, defending his rabbi, defending his God, defending his religions? I'll call you back when I'm ready. Like that. We good? We got it. We got answers? Yes, I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, who's with me? He's defending himself. He's, he's ticked because he's not the people catcher he thought he might be. A couple, a few. He's defending his rabbi. Okay, no, no. He's defending his God. Yahweh couldn't, obviously. Okay. Defending his religion. <laughs> Luke, cheater. That's so good. Okay, interesting. Um, what I want to do is pay attention to this through the span of tonight, um, and we'll come back to it. How about that? Um, Paul was an apostle. Here's the thing you need to know from this opening idea. Saul, not Paul. He's not Paul. Um, He's Saul, and he's an apostle. Basically, the idea of asking for letters uh, means that he was looking for the authority to throw folks in in prison. So he was looking for power, and that's the the idea behind apostle. He's a sent one. As he nears Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashes around him. He falls to the ground and hears a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he is like, Shekinah, which is a Hebrew word that means glory. And it shows up (laughs) whenever you see bright lights in the Old Testament. There's one in particular for a 40-year victory lap as the Israelites were waiting for a generation of people to die. They were led by this pillar of fire at night. And then what would happen is they made camp. They would set up this tent that they called the tabernacle. And over the tabernacle, the Shekinah, the bright light, the glory of God would come down. It would fill the tent. And everybody would be like, Shekinah. And that is what happened here. This is a theological happening as well as a literal one. And immediately Saul would know what's going on. He knows exactly how to respond. Who are you Lord, who are you? As soon as the light hits, he knows what to do. Eat dirt and talk to God. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. They led him away by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, not eating or drinking anything. Oh my, how the tables have turned. The oppressor, full of his himself, full of his confidence and his power, is now being humbled and led as someone who has been oppressed. He has seen the glory of Jesus and he's heard the voice. Here's the twist for all of you. Um, Jesus has been pursuing Saul up until this place. As I started to research this sermon, I really enjoyed this part Here's my idea. My idea is this. Saul defending his rabbi as one of our answers before. We've heard Gamaliel show up in just the last chapter. Remember, Gamaliel was the voice that talked to the Sadducees. And he said, 
you better slow your roll, Sadducees, and not kill Peter and John. Not kill the apostles, even though they're preaching resurrection. Because if it turns out that you're wrong, you're actually fighting God. And so that's Gamaliel's wisdom. And that is the rabbi of Saul. Now here's the deal. Saul is now not following Gamaliel, which means he has passed through Gamaliel's teaching and is now a rabbi of his own. So at an age level, Saul is somewhere in his mid to late 30s. And we also know that Jesus was killed in his early to mid 30s. And so the question here is, has Saul seen Jesus before this Shekinah moment. Here's the idea. Every single temple time, every single festival during temple time, uh, what would happen is all of the teachers of the day, all of the men of the Jewish tradition that lived in the region, they would go to the temple together. And so I guarantee Jesus knew Gamaliel, and I guarantee that the rabbis of Gamaliel stood there and heard Jesus as well. So pretty close in age, that's one idea. Here's the next one. I also guarantee that Saul has heard the reports of Jesus' teaching and miracles, stories of his character and claim. But more than that, there's been this persistent rumor of eyewitnesses that people saw, touched, ate dinner with Jesus. And I guarantee Saul has heard that in his walking. And here's the, the most clear one of how Jesus has been pursuing Saul. It's through the death of Stephen. Remember Stephen, this idea, whenever Saul was standing there watching the stoning happening, the coats were laid at Saul's feet. But it was Stephen in particular who had the Shekinah glory of God showing around his face. Stephen's face glowed like an angel. And I guarantee in a moment when the light flashed on Saul, he immediately went back through all of these moments where he has been pursued by Jesus. He's heard Stephen's speech. He's heard his testimony. Stephen in chapter six did wisdom, signs and wonders, blah, blah, blah. The idea is this that Jesus has been pursuing Saul over years. And on the road to Damascus is the moment that Saul had to make a decision. Now, my question for you to talk again, which is the most compelling idea of how Jesus pursued Saul? So go talk again. Is it most compelling that they might've known each other through the temple? Is it most compelling that Saul has heard the eyewitnesses and support so much so that he's enraged and then begins to persecute the church? Or are you most compelled by Stephen's words as Saul, st as Saul stood there? Ready, go. Okay. We got this one? I see you. All right. You only get to pick one this time, Luke, you big cheater. So let's just do it with our fingers. One, two, three. Ready? You tell me. Three, three, three. Getting old. Can't see very well. Mostly threes. C in the back. One, one, one. I got a two. Finally, threes. Lots of threes. Twos. Two twos. Threes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you got me. Oh, that's so good. I love it. Thank you. All right, I'll take that. So the general consensus is we like all these ideas. Here's the part I want you to walk out on. 
I want you to walk out on this. You guys are welcome to read the Bible in this way. You're welcome to read the Bible like this big narrative that has details that are left unsaid and that you get to dive into and start to text me at inappropriate times of the day like Luke Barrow does. Okay, so go with it. Here's the idea that I want to get. There's this idea of gradual grace and pursuit that has been happening. Um, I have uh, this cool experience that I have been invited to do a couple times. Um, I get to go work alongside my friends at Fort Wilderness in the Great White North and do the, the mud run with my little girls. Uh, that is the fifth grader now, Quinn, and then this is the kindergartner, Lou. And uh, Rosie did not want any part of that mud bog in the northern woods. Um, she like one toe and is like, nah. And she was out. <laughs> if you know Rose, you know exactly what that means. Um, so I'm going to invite up Amber and Molly. They come down um, every single year for the last, I don't know, eight to ten. Um, I've been here eight years, and they've been here every, every year. Um, and so what I wanted to do was just ask these ladies, why? Why do you pursue college students and invite them into leadership at Fort Wilderness? Of course. Um, I think a big part of why we do it is relationships is a core value um, here at Fort, up at Fort Wilderness. We're up in Wisconsin, too. I don't know if you said that. But um, northern Wisconsin, way up there. So a lot of it is just because of relationships. Um, and so why specifically we drive all the way down here? Um, there's a couple people. CJ Oops. has been on our staff as well. Um, Josh Houston has been on our staff as well, and you'll get to hear from some from them. But there's been even quite a few of you guys. CJ's older siblings have been a part of it. Um, Kate's um, brother-in-law, Ransford, used to be on staff up there as well. Um, a whole bunch of other people way in the past that you may know or may not know. Um, but a lot of it's because of Josh has spoken a couple times as well there. And so coming down here and continuing to build these relationships and getting to see lives change for eternity. Um, we do that with the campers, but honestly, we get to do it with the staff, and we get to see you guys come back year and year after year, and getting to train and teach you guys how to love these little kids, honestly, is more challenging and pushing for you guys than it is for the campers themselves. And so getting to be a part of that and a part of what that action is and getting to live life alongside is why we get to do this and continue to pour into each other um, and strive to point each other towards Christ. Christ, um, is a big part of why we love coming down and getting to chat with people. Yeah, I think the only thing I sorry, sorry about that. Uh, would add to that, Molly said that very well, but you guys are here because you value Christian community, and that's what camp is all about, is growing in community together, and um, we're excited to share that opportunity and to invite you to spend a summer with us um, loving campers and loving the fellow community as well. You get to live together um, like you do at CSF and things like that. And um, I think it's just a great opportunity you should consider. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Okay, so I'll bring Josh and CJ up because I've got two specific questions for them. Molly and Amber, you're welcome to eat their cookies, take some swag, and grab stickers. Gentlemen, uh, CJ, you're up first. Here's your question. Uh, this question is, how does being on staff at Fort for several years, how does that actually impact you today, kind of walking around campus? Uh, I mean, I'll go with the first thing that pops in my head. I'd say I feel empowered in so many ways. Um, Fort's the first place, probably the only place that consistently takes the strengths that I come in with, the raw strengths, and makes them mature. Uh, mm. Makes them others-oriented rather than self-oriented. Um, same amount of times they gave me opportunities when maybe I shouldn't have or whatever else that be um, is something that gave me the eye for the world to 
just think think more when I'm sitting in class about what's happening on Twitter, and more so what's happening with a classmate next to me, or whatever else that be. Um, looking outward instead of inward at all times, I guess. Love it. Yeah. And then Josh and I have spent days and hours together, and Fort consistently comes up in your story about service. How has that totally shaped the way that you see your world? Yeah. Um, so I went to Fort my sophomore summer. So four years ago, I met Katie Lutz and Molly over there. Mm -hmm. um, we went to coffee, had no idea what I wanted to do that summer, had no idea what Fort was beyond. Uh, K-Duff was showing me and telling me about her experience <laughs> as CJ's sister. Um, and I felt God tugging on my heart to say yes, say yes to the opportunities ahead of me. I didn't know what that would look like, um, but I knew after this day four years ago, it was a yes to Fort. Um, didn't really think about what the preparation would be like going into it. I knew I was supposed to bring my whole self. I was supposed to bring my energy, bring the yes, bring you know whatever else they said and asked for. Um, and then throughout the summer, got to see and experience firsthand how much time and energy the leaders and the directors and my managers and team members who were also like pouring into me spent preparing the way as leaders so that we myself included and all the other staff could grow and be pushed and be challenged and encouraged. Uh, there's a daily drip of encouragement and affirmation um, where we sit and pray over campers, we sit and pray over each other um, and slow down the pace of life. Like that was something I didn't expect, uh, but all the intention that was put into the summer through the leaders there allowed my perspective on leadership to change. And so I can now understand a lot more about serving and what it looks like to be the leader. Love so. it. It's good enough for government work. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, ladies. Uh, the idea here, the idea here is we know that people go to Memphis, people go to Spring Hill. Wolf talked about that last week. It's just another opportunity for your voice and your leadership, Jones, the raw talent to be matured. I really like that one. That's so good. Um, let me dr drop back in. The idea of Saul's conversion was the climax of a long process. Some of you have camp in your background, and you know that, that idea. Um, and what I think here is that um, God's grace in your life over the span of all the way up until now is not sudden. And God's grace is also not compulsive. What I love about the story of Saul is that the light shone and Saul was humbled, falling to the ground, but grace did not violate Saul's human uh, essence. It did not violate his personality. In fact, Grace showed up in a voice to Saul in that moment as a question. Grace said this, Saul, Saul, why do you, oops, my bad, one ahead. Why do you persecute me? Uh, and this is in incredible. Uh, John Stott is uh, in that blue book right back there on the shelf. If you're ever curious about reading the commentaries that I read, here's what Stott says. He says, God's grace enables human beings to be truly human. It is sin that imprisons and grace that liberates. The grace of God frees us from bondage of our pride, our prejudice, our self-centeredness to enable us to repent and believe. I like that. Here comes 9, 10, 11, 12. In Damascus, there's a disciple who's also praying named Ananias. The Lord calls to him in a vision. Ananias, what? 
I don't know if he said it like that. The Lord said then, go to the house of Judas, different Judas, on Straight Street, best location in the Bible, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So here's my question. I've already said that God's grace is long drawn out. We can assume that God has been at work pursuing Saul, and now he is at a place blinded and praying. You tell me. What do his prayers sound like? Ready, go. <laughs> I love it. All right, what's our answer then? So, okay, Mariah. He's like, shit, kind of. It's good, okay. They sound, they have that desperate tone. Okay, I'll go with it. Yeah. Hey, buddy, how about you? Hook me up with some eyesight. It's good. Do you think you said, hey, buddy? Okay, just checking. <laughs> Got someone? Yeah, CJ. I like that. I like that. Looking for genuine answers to real questions, no matter what the answer, like how emotional that might be. I like that. We don't say piss here at church. Okay, guys. CJ. Mature, buddy. Mature. Here's the idea. <laughs> here it comes. Here it comes. Um, I, I, yeah. All, again, I don't know how you read the Bible. I don't know how you read the Bible, but when I read the Bible, immediately I'm connecting dots across the whole of the scripture. And I've got this one chunk in my brain. Like this is, anytime I can throw this into my sermon, I do. This is the message versions of, of Romans chapter eight. And it's the idea that for the first time ever, Saul has this access to God that he's never had before. Saul has an immediate access to God that he has never had before because for the first time, he's seen God. For the first time, he has seen um, the, the literal glory of God for himself, that's one, and he didn't do anything. In fact, that glory showed up when he was on his way to kill, to imprison and so for the first time, he has this understanding of what grace looks like. And for the first time, I think he has a resurrection life. Um, yeah, this, this move from murderous threats in verse 1 to now breathing out, I think, some sort of praise is an incredible twist. Lord, Ananias says as we move forward, I've heard many reports about this man, you know. Saul, and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, you know, prison. And he has come here with the authority of the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Is it okay to question God? That's legitimately what Ananias is doing right here. 
Is he doing the right thing? Is the earth about to... And there goes... I mean, we've seen somebody named Ananias before, right? Shh. Just acts fun for everybody playing along. All right, don't worry about it. <laughs> he went down. Okay, so if he did um, rock off to Saul without a second thought, that would be suicidal. I think, it's, I think it's honest for you and I to acknowledge that. Here's what the Lord says to Ananias. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So verse 17 is where I want to camp. Yes, Ananias did question, and yes, Ananias was obedient. I think it's a thumbs up to question God. I also think it's a thumbs up that if you receive the answer, you better obey. And guys, the the humanity of Ananias to say it's a suicide mission potentially, right, to roll into Saul's house um, is also a humanitarian mission because what you see Ananias do is touch Saul. The first motion that he makes is laying hands on a blind man. I don't know if Saul did that. Maybe he didn't see it coming, if you know what I'm saying. And then he says this, brother. Like, I, I think there's got to be something about this move of hands and then this word of brother that probably wasn't a tickle fight. I'm sure it was probably something more like a hug. And all of a sudden, not only has Saul experienced the glory of God, but he's also experienced the glory of God's family. And that is what Ananias does and it is what you and I are called to be in the world around us. If you are a Christ follower, it is your calling to be the hands and the mouth of inviting people into something that you can't explain, but you can only show. And then with words like this, he has sent me here that you can be uh, see again and filled with the Holy Spirit Here's what happens, verse 18. I don't think I have it on the slide. You're probably following along in your Bibles. I get it. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Verse 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. The thing to not miss in that little chunk is that Saul immediately went to baptism, but he went to baptism after his eyes were opened. The idea of baptism is it's a, a claiming of ownership. It's a, it's a declaration of allegiance, but it was rebirth that happened for Saul. He stepped into the water and came out on the other side. Verse 21 says, all those who heard Saul preaching in the synagogues were astonished. Isn't he the man that raised havoc 
You think havoc translates in Greek? Anybody? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's actually the right word. I should have looked it up. Raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name. And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Here's my big close. My big close is this. The immediate move of Saul once he was accepted after seeing the glory and then loved on by the family of God was to make a declaration of what side he was on and then to move immediately into the place where he told his story. Immediately, he moved to a place where he told his story. To some of you, I, I would ask you to hang out with Molly and Amber and see if a call to loving on other people who are looking for Jesus, that you may know yourself, if that's something that is a call. For those of you that might be serving within your local church, it may not be the summer thing, but it might be an actual physical, I show up with high school students. And I do this thing where I touch them and hug them and say, I'm glad you're here. For some of you, it might be in the nursery where you pick up Lou and you hold her upside down, right? Because all she really needs is to be physically known in her world and then picked up and squeezed really tight. And for some of you, this looks like caring for old folks. <laughs> I've done this in my life. And there is nothing more selfless than walking alongside someone who has lost the ability to shave or to clean themselves, or to cook their own food, or know what pills they're taking. Some of you know exactly what I mean. Here would be my call to you. Whatever your summer, or maybe even in your immediate vicinity, your call as Christ followers, once you know the glory of God, have been accepted into his community, have made a public declaration of whose you are, your call is now to go. And here's the deal. If you read Saul's voice and what happens throughout the rest of the book of Acts, you know that that very last line of, uh, of Jesus' little promise to Ananias was verse 16. And it said this, I'm going to show Saul what it looks like to be my follower this is incredible. Saul is going to have to escape from the city in a basket. He's going to run away from murder threats against him. He's going to be smuggled out of town. He's going to be put on a ship. He's going to be persecuted, stoned in Lystra, beaten in Philippi, the center of a public riot in Ephesus, arrested in Jerusalem, shipwrecked in the Mediterranean, and he's going to be held in custody in Rome. Like, this is the guy that wrote the back half of our Bible and helped order the church that you and I now read to understand who we are in the family of God. So my question for you to end it is, would Saul trade out all those moments that I just read you for his old life back? Would Saul trade out Shipwreck, suffering, beaten, arrested, imprisonment, riots, stoning, smuggling, and have to run out of city on a ship. Would he trade that for his old life back? I think the answer is probably not. 
Because once you experience the clarity of who God is for yourself, and then you truly are known and loved in God's family, I don't think that can ever be taken away. And I would argue that Saul won't either. So uh, band's gonna come up. We're gonna close down here. But some of you might be in some tough spaces right now. And so if you want to pray with somebody, I would say grab someone uh, who's close that loves you well or grab one of our staff or uh, some of our leaders will be in the back if you want to pray with someone. So let's do it right on the other side. Um, And then here's the second thing. I would invite you to come back tomorrow and fill this room not to hear me preach, but to raise your voice as one family in a worship night. Three different bands, people talking in between, kind of giving some testimony and doing some scripture. But worship night starts tomorrow night at eight o'clock. Looking for my leaders, yes? Eight o'clock. And I'll be here and available to pray also tomorrow night. If that's something that you want a little bit extended time, um, would love to meet you and pray alongside you. So that's your opening for tonight. And I'll pray for you guys now, yeah? Father, we give you uh, we give you the hard places of our story. Um, every single one of us knows exactly what that means uniquely, where we are um, pulled astray, where we feel temptation, where we feel failure. And God, the storyline is again and again that you meet us and you call us and you know us before we ever before we ever repent. God, there is nothing that can separate us from your love and that's proof in the storyline of Saul. So help us take great uh, just consolence in that storyline tonight. And so if there's someone that God hasn't made the the idea of knowing your glory for themselves, I pray that you are bright And if there's someone that needs to feel the love of a family, I pray that they are bold to ask for help. And God, if there's someone that needs to make a a declaration, we give you the praise in all these things. Amen. Thanks.